We're here today at The Hague at the IBA ICC MOOC competition and we're at the semi-finals and final rounds and we'd just like to talk to you about how that's been going. So I've got two fantastic judges and one person who actually writes the whole program and the question, the memorials. So Michael, if you'd like to introduce both of yourselves. Sure. So I'll start. Yes. I'm Michael Scharf. I'm the Dean of Case Western Reserve University School of Law. And for the last 10 years, I've been the chairman of the board of advisors of this international criminal court moot court competition. And in that capacity, I get to write the problem that the students argue and the bench memo that helps the judges judge the competition. My name is Milena Stereo. I'm a professor of international law at Cleveland State University in the United States and also managing director at the Public International Law and Policy Group, which is a leading NGO in the space of human rights. I have also judged this competition many times in the past. And when Michael writes the problem, he usually sends it to a group of us, group of experts, and we get to provide feedback and comments on the problem. Well, this is my first year in The Hague as a judge in this competition, and the problem is actually is quite complex. So can you let us know how you actually came up with that idea for the problem? So when we do these problems, we always have three different issues, a substantive issue, a jurisdictional issue, and an evidentiary issue. So we decided that the substantive issue this year would be echo-side, because we had heard that the prosecutor of the real International Criminal Court was interested in prosecuting companies and individuals that committed atrocities related to attacks against the environment. But this has never before been prosecuted at the International Criminal Court. It's a very controversial issue. And so we wanted to use the ICC moot court as a judicial laboratory to test out some of these theories before they actually get to the real International Criminal Court. So it's really quite a challenge for the students, wouldn't you not say, in order to come up with a solution and to argue a case that's never been looked at before in area of law. Yeah, and unlike domestic law, international criminal law is pretty new. So you have the Nuremberg Tribunal from World War II, you have the Yugoslavia Tribunal, the Rwanda Tribunal from 20 years ago, and then you've got this international criminal court, which is starting to hear a lot of cases. And so there are also UN documents, there's negotiating record, there are other things that the students can cite to, but there's a lot of room for creativity in this kind of competition. What seemed to impress me when I was evaluating the memorials is the high quality of work that has gone into those memorials in the, in the first instance. So what are some of the things that the university support in helping the students get to that level? So for a team to be successful, the team has to have a coach. The team coach is usually a law professor who spends a lot of time with the team, advising them both on substantive issues of international law, international criminal law, but then also on oral advocacy skills. And so preparing for the competition typically entails many practice rounds where the team will essentially practice against each other. Sometimes coaches will bring in other experts to also assist with the team either in terms of substantive law or in terms of oral advocacy. And so typically this is a process that entails several months of fairly intensive preparation. And then once they go through that process, they then come, there's a selection process for them to get to the Hague in the moot competition. 
So how does that work for the students? So each country or continent has essentially regional rounds. So in the United States, those regional rounds tend to be held at Pace University in New York City. And so the best American teams meet there. And then the top two or three will come through and come to the you know world finals here in The Hague, where I believe we started the week with 81 teams. I've certainly noticed the level of advocacy skills amongst the students are excellent. They're quite good on their feet. They're able to look at the precedent cases. They're able to argue quite competently. Is there tutorials that they attend in order to help with their advocacy skills? Well, I think this really is the role of the coach, as you've heard, but each school has their own process for teaching these mock trial techniques and skills. What I was really impressed with is over the course of this week, each student argued a number of times and the teams are together watching the arguments, hearing the questions, watching the other teams answer the questions, and they just got better and better and better. And it was such a great learning experience for them. And by the time we got to the semifinals, which we just judged, the students were doing it without notes and they had creative arguments and they had answers to just about everything that the judges threw at them. It was really amazing to see. Well, I noticed that I went through six rounds and the first round, it was quite easy to ask questions and they were a little bit unsure of the answers and they were quite scripted in their approach. But by the sixth round, we had to come up with a whole lot of different questions. They were able to act on their feet a lot better. And it was more challenging as a judge to come up with different questions. And so I think that showed their level of learning. One thing that I've noticed about this competition is the ability for students to network because we have students from all around the world and judges, people, look, advocate, ad, sorry, we're going to cut that. One thing I've noticed from this competition is the ability to network. We have students from all around the world and we have advocates, lecturers, other judges. We also have diplomats. I think there's some ambassadors here. So there's a lot of people that students can network with also for their own careers. Is that unique to a moot competition? I think there's a couple of international moot courts that have generated this love for the competition such that the competitors, when they graduate and they become lawyers, want to come back as judges. So at the judge's reception the other evening, I started my remarks by asking the people in the room, how many of you here had been competitors and are now judges. And about half of the people in the room raised their hand. And then I said, how many of you here work at the international institutions in The Hague? And another third of the people raised their hands. And I suppose the others were just academics, professors, and practitioners who just want to be part of this, whether they were competitors or not. But what it means is that the judges are at an extraordinarily high level. And when we introduce ourselves after the rounds to the competitors, we give them our cards. We promise that we will stay in touch with them. And they are creating an amazing network of people, not just the judges, but also the other competitors who are going to become famous advocates in five, 10 years. Well, I think for me, it's like we can pick future lawyers to come and work in our practices in human rights or social justice matters or just in domestic law as well as international work because you're seeing these really skilled advocates in their final years 
that you don't always get to see unless you come to a place like this. So do you see in the future, when you look back, do you see those students in their careers? Have you come across that? Yeah, that's the most interesting thing. So the people who've argued in the semis and finals, we've kind of kept track of them over the years, and they have done so well in their careers. Some of them are international prosecutors. Others are already judges and, and jurists in their own country at a high level or government attorneys that are in their foreign ministries. But so many of them have really successful careers in international criminal law. This is just a place, an incubator for creating the next generation of experts in this field. So what inspires you both to keep going? This, for the judges as well, is one of the most fun weeks of the year. I think Michael would agree with me on this one. We also get to come here. We get to interact, as you mentioned, with the other judges, many of whom are experts, judges, prosecutors members of defense teams here at the ICC. And so we, the judges, get to hang out, interact with each other, share experiences. It is honestly one of the best weeks of my year, every year. And, and The Hague is such a great place to spend time. There's all these outdoor restaurants, and we have created as part of the program a boat ride for the competitors, and there's receptions for the judges. And the last day, there's going to be a big beach party and we've been very fortunate with the weather. It's, it's been sunny and beautiful all week, which helps a lot. So it's been a bonding experience, not just for the students, but also for the judges. And, and also I would add to that, for us too, on a more substantive level, this is incredibly rewarding because we get to hear these amazing students make such creative arguments. You know, Michael, who wrote the problem, had anticipated most of the issues that would come up, yet... There were some novel issues that the students brought up that we hadn't thought of. And so listening to that is truly inspiring. So for students in Australia, because Australia, it's a very long way to come for this competition. I think that one thing that would be inspiring for them is that it gives them an opportunity to really broaden their skills, but also their networks and to show them that there's a lot of different opportunities abroad for them in their careers besides or stay in Australia to advocate. So would you encourage more Australian universities to get involved in this process? You know, traditionally, Australian universities do really well in the Jessup International Law Moot Court competition and in this competition, but there aren't as many as there should be from Australia. And so I am hopeful that those that hear this podcast are going to say, wow, that's something we need to get involved in, because I guarantee you that each school will find it extremely rewarding and educationally really important. And also I would add to that, the teams that come here, they're here for more than a week. The preliminary round started last Saturday. The final rounds are tomorrow, which is Friday. So teams are here for eight or nine days. If you're traveling from as far away as, from, from, as, far away as from, from Australia, it's not as if you were coming for an afternoon. You're coming for a full week of multiple rounds. The teams that make it through to the finals will have argued, as you mentioned, six or seven times. And so it is a truly rewarding and worthwhile experience, even if you're coming from as far away as Australia. And certainly for me coming over, it has been a tremendous experience and just meeting everybody that I have, including all of the other judges, um, and all of the students has been a really rewarding experience and to watch their growth throughout the session has been enlightening and I encourage 
the universities and all the students to get behind this MOOC competition because it will only extend their skills. And I, as I say to students, Laura is a profession and you can do incredible things in this career and make incredible changes and facilitate brilliant outcomes. And so I'm really grateful that we have fantastic universities that can really upskill students. So thank you to you both for the commitment that you have to education. And thank you for asking us to be on your podcast. We really appreciate it. Truly a pleasure. Thanks.